You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. I don't need a shrink to tell me what to think. There ain't no missing link in my love life. It's alright. I ain't that uptight. What the hell? Did you just stumble upon a... It's a good way to start a podcast. Just stumble over my words, why don't you? Did you just stumble upon a Shania Twain concert? How did you even get into a concert? Did they open venues? No. You silly Billy, it's just a me, Ari, your host, your pal, your sober confidant. I think I'm having a major nostalgia party lately because I am listening to a lot of albums that my mom had on heavy rotation when I was a kid. Mainly Shania Twain's Come On Over album, some Best of Cher, ABBA, you know, the classics. I don't seek out country music as an adult, but my mom played a shit ton of Shania and Dixie Chicks, who are now the, the Chicks, I believe. Lots of Shania, lots of realizing certain song lyrics are just locked away in weird parts of our brain, and it doesn't matter that it's been two decades, the words will just come flooding right back to you. This is kind of a sloppy segue, so bear with me, but all of this Shania makes me think about my time in Nashville, even though she is Canadian. Whatever, I I feel like if you put out a country album, you are legally required to spend some time in Nashville, so the segue is actually very strong. Do not come for me. I am not an, I'm not a country singer, therefore, why am I required to spend time in Nashville? I'm not. I'm a California baby, born and bred. I've only lived in California, um, Northern California to begin with, now Southern California. The City of Angels, the City of Lucifer teaming up with the LAPD to solve crimes. Los Angeles, baby. After I graduated college, I moved home and lived at home for about three years while I was writing full-time for a digital website that did not pay me a living wage in California, which is why I had to live at home for so long. But that's for a different podcast. I am not an adventurous person. I don't think that comes as a shock to anybody who knows me. I like my comforts and my home and my routine, and I feel very safe there. Honestly, I'm just like not that attracted to the idea of travel. I would even go so far as to say I don't like traveling. Hot take. Hot take alert. I don't care about traveling. Everyone's dating profile is like, I love food and travel, and I'm like, food is cool and you need it to survive, I guess, but I would like to stay in one place forever. Thank you. Who wants to date me? Well, in 2017, I decided to do something very not in my nature, and I booked an Airbnb in Nashville, Tennessee for a whole month, and I flew out there alone. And I didn't know anyone there. I had no business being there. (laughs) Like, I just, for some reason, got it in my head that now's the time. I wasn't paying rent. You know, I mean, I was, I was, I was a little bit. I was helping my family, but, you know, I was living with them. And to be honest with you, I also think I was into the idea because I knew Wells Adams from The Bachelor lived there, but... But more on that finasco later, because there is more on that later. So there I was, with a plane ticket to Nashville, ready to embark on a new life. One that would include adventure and me, the introvert with a growing drinking problem. I would I would spread my wings. I would get to know the city. I would make friends. This was going to be my eat, pray, love. Um, but, you know, it really just turned out to be drink in the Airbnb drink in the Airbnb with the neighbor's cat and drink at the local bar and drop my phone in the bathroom sink and have an angelic bartender take care of me and call me an Uber back to the previously discussed Airbnb. Now, an important thing to know is that about a month prior to my Nashville trip, I had befriended a stranger from the internet who was dying from cancer. So I mentioned earlier that I was writing full-time for a popular digital website. So, you know, people would 
follow me on social media or tweet me, sometimes email me saying that they liked something I wrote, yada, yada, yada. I am a big words of affirmation gal. It's both a blessing and a curse. I like when people talk about me or to me, so I was very, very, very active when it came to responding to people. I received one email from a girl who said her best friend, let's call her Susan, not her real name. Um, she said Susan was a big fan of my writing and was battling cancer, and it would be amazing if I reached out or recorded a video message saying hi. Of course, I was extremely touched, so I emailed back right away. I said, of course. I recorded a little video message. I asked for mailing address so I could send over copies of my poetry books. So Susan then responded and was very sweet and funny and we started emailing back and forth. She was telling me about her cancer and we just, you know, we just kind of started this nice rapport. Susan was very familiar with things I'd written. I wrote a ton of articles and poems about my father and losing him to cancer. She was very aware of that. Also things I had written about depression and mental health. This emailing back and forth just, you know, we started having really deep philosophical conversations about what we thought happened after death and what being a good person meant and what the point of life was and, you know, these really serious in-depth conversations and she was really funny and we had you know it was just like this nice internet friendship and I'm no stranger to internet friendships I uh, there's a lot of people in my life who I count as friends that I met back in the day Twitter or Tumblr or Instagram and, and these are like you know friendships that I really do cherish and sometimes they even become people I, I know and I communicate with in real life you know so we transitioned we started even FaceTiming and texting and you know whenever we would FaceTime or she would record video messages for me she looked ill she looked like she definitely was was, you know, had, had cancer. She had a, a shaved head, and sometimes we would FaceTime when she was in the hospital. I saw medications and tubes and serious stuff. She was my age. She might have been, I think she was like a year younger than me. You know, and she was such a funny person. She made me laugh. She went out of her way to make me feel good and like reassure me and make sure I felt valued. And I just was like, what a special human being. My mom was worried because of how attached I was getting and, you know, how difficult it was going to be when she died. It had been made very clear to me that her cancer was terminal and it was starting to take kind of a bad turn and my mom was concerned. I was gonna, you know, watch someone I love die again. I could tell my mom really wanted me to kind of put up boundaries and, 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 but it was too late. It was too late. I couldn't put up boundaries. This was a friend. This was my friend now. This was someone I cared about and someone who was ill. And we had, like I said, these really meaningful talks. I mean, you know, we both were like, oh, we don't know what we think about an afterlife. I don't know what I believe. I don't necessarily believe in a heaven. I'd love to be proven wrong. And she, you know, we kind of had similar beliefs on God and, and what happens after. And, and, and she used to tell me, she's like, you know, I'm going to be the one that finds out first. But if there is something, I'm going to go find your dad and and I'm going to tell him how proud he should be of you. And I'm going to give him a big hug. And we're going to look out for you. I mean, you know, really, really like impactful shit. So this very meaningful friendship was blossoming. And I actually FaceTimed her in the airport on my way to Nashville. I'm a nervous flyer. She was talking to me. She was calming me down. And, you know, then, I, then I'm then i in Nashville. And again, 
I thought I was going to be super adventurous. I thought I was going to be like, look at me. I make so many friends. I walk down the street in Nashville and you know, no, that didn't happen. I was incredibly lonely. So we were talking all the time. Um, and then she went MIA for a couple days. She had told me that she was going to enter hospice care soon. For those who don't know, hospice care is basically caregiving that focuses on making people with terminal illnesses as comfortable as possible. Um, my dad did it. It's sort of end of life care. Usually there is a high dose of pain meds and it's meant to really ease as much suffering as possible when you are dying. So it's like (laughs) serious stuff. Like you don't just like go into hospice and then come out the next day and be like, never mind, I'm not doing hospice anymore. You know, you don't just make miraculous recoveries. I was really upset because I hadn't heard from her and I thought, okay, this might be it. I'm probably gonna get an email or a notification or something that she passed away and here I am in Nashville. I'm away from my family. I'm away from my friends. I have nobody. I was really freaking out about it. Then I get a text. She texts me and she's totally fine. She's making jokes. She's asking to FaceTime. And I was relieved because I thought, okay, great. She's alive. But then I got this really, really bad pit in my stomach. So I do something that you think I might have done earlier but I didn't. I googled her name plus the word cancer. Immediately, multiple articles popped up with a girl of the same name who repeatedly faked having cancer and other very serious illnesses. This was someone who sought out families who had gone through a loss or had a sick child, people who were emotionally vulnerable. In some cases, she would move in with a family. They were her caretakers. This happened in multiple states. Uh, it It didn't seem to be about a financial gain. It was about creating emotional bonds with people by pretending to be terminally ill. When I tell you my stomach fell to my fucking ass, I got lightheaded and nauseous. I thought I was going to be sick. I felt all of a sudden like there were eyes watching me. I felt creeped out. It was the middle of the night. I was by myself in this house in Nashville. It was one of the worst feelings I have ever had in my life. It was so eerie and so upsetting and it felt it was such a betrayal it was a betrayal of my trust and my time and my heart and I just thought like I cried actual tears over this person thinking that you know she was gonna die and all the times we talked about my dad and all of the intimate secrets we shared and 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 I just was like that was all fake that was all a fucking lie for what and I just kept thinking if she wanted to talk to me if she wanted to email me I you know I I form friendships with people on the internet. You don't have to pretend to have cancer. I'll be your friend. After the initial shock wore off, I emailed her and I said, I know everything. I know it's all a lie. Don't ever contact me again. Her friend, I'm using air quotes, her friend emailed back and said, I know this is something Susan does. It's a problem. But the friendship you had was real blah, blah, blah. Obviously it was her. Like, obviously she, obviously it's been her all along. Obviously she was the first one that emailed me and said, I have a friend with cancer. You know, it's all her. As angry as I was, I was also sad for her. You know, I'm not an expert. I don't know a lot about it, but it seemed to be Munchausen syndrome, which according to clevelandclinic.com, Munchausen syndrome is when someone tries to get attention and sympathy by falsifying, inducing, and or exaggerating an illness. They lie about symptoms, sabotage medical tests, like putting blood in their urine. Oh my God. Or harm themselves to get the symptoms. This was something she did many, many times. So obviously she was struggling. And part of me wondered if there were elements 
moments of truth and stories she told me. You know, I looked into her a few years ago and she had actually been arrested for doing it. She had a Facebook notes apology and it was just really crazy to read. It made me sad. She really did break my heart and she broke a lot of other people's hearts and I just hope she eventually was able to get help and I don't know if help was offered to her. I don't know. I don't know the situation, but um, side note, of course, I told this story to people at the time and then I was submitted to Catfish and I actually spoke with a producer about it, gave him her information, known addresses. Uh, I never heard back, so I can only assume she did not give the green light. Uh, So that's the story of how I got cancer catfished. While in Nashville, I was like, well, damn, I just found out my friend is a scam artist. Might as well get blasted every night. Uh, And at some point, at some drunken point, I had DM'd Wells Adams from Bachelor Nation and I was like, hey, I'm in Nashville. Show me around. XOXO, some shit like that. To my surprise, he DM'd me back and was like, my friend's having a concert this weekend. You should come. Well, hot damn, my Nashville trip was turning around. Down a cancer friend, potentially up a romance with the cutest guy in Bachelor Nation, and this was before Wells got the bartending gig on Bachelor in Paradise. I was like, you know, okay, things are turning around. Everything's coming up Eastman, baby. The night of the concert, I arrive at the venue, and my social anxiety kicks into the highest gear it has ever been in. Super drive. I have never been less prepared to interact with a human being. I don't know if it was because it was coming on the heels of this massive thing with Catfish Susan and I was going to this concert alone to meet up with this guy that I had a TV crush on. I don't know what it was, but I truly could not form sentences. I saw him in the distance and I thought, I can't do this. He is so hot. I started texting my mom and stepdad like, he's so hot. I can't do this. And they were hyping me up in text like, you're smart. You're cool. You're funny. You're beautiful. Go be you. Very sweet. Uh, I did what any baby alcoholic would do and I sat at the bar and I ordered a few drinks before going up to him because I was learning to regulate uneasy emotions with alcohol. I had about two rum and cokes starting to feel the buzz, the buzz light year, the invisible buzz that makes me think I can talk to anyone. When in reality, I would just get loud and annoying. So I'm sitting at the bar. I don't even approach him. He approaches me. He's like, hey, great to meet you. Glad you could come. I buy him a shot. I take another shot. The night starts to get blurry, my friends. We talk a little bit and then he disappears. I'm now drunk watching a concert alone. A great concert, I will say. Cannot remember the dude's name, but he was Wells' friend and very talented. So I'm now drunk and sad because Wells is not paying attention to me. We're not falling in love the way I thought we would. In fact, I don't even know where he is. So what do I do? I keep drinking because that's the solution. I find him every now and then during the night, throughout the concert, we talk and you know, it's pretty clear that he's tolerating me. The concert finishes up and I am now chatty and drunk. So I'm talking to whoever is around me. This guy who looks like Jonah Hill is my new friend and I keep asking him, where's Wells? Where's Wells? And Jonah is like, babe, he's not coming back for you. I join Jonah and a few other people and we go for food at a diner nearby and I just keep going on and on about Wells and Jonah eventually was like, I'm getting you an Uber home. Wells does not care about you. You need to move on. Then he met Sarah Highland and shockingly, love was not in the cards for us. In another lifetime, perhaps. Just another episode in a series of times I embarrassed myself because I got drunk in front of a man. The great thing about sobriety is that now when I embarrass myself in front of a man, I remember every minute of it. Now when I want to repress a memory, I don't do it with alcohol. (laughs) Just old-fashioned denial. I do think I would like to go back to Nashville at some point with a clear head, better mental health, and um, hopefully I won't pursue anyone from Bachelor Nation. Although, 
Never say never. It's something that made me happy this week. It's my pink cloud of sobriety. This was kind of a rough week. Kind of hard to pick a pick a pink cloud. I don't know. I don't know what was up this week, but like my energy was off. I've been having really like nightmarish dreams. I keep having really, really upsetting dreams about my dad. I have these dreams sometimes where my dad will be like, guess what? I didn't actually die. I just abandoned you. Pretty upsetting. Not great. I would love to, I think maybe we'll do an episode about dreams because I also have a lot, a lot of dreams about relapsing. They always fuck me up and I'm always so relieved when I wake up. I would say my pink cloud of the week is... Full circle moment, Shania Twain's 1997 Come On Over album. It is still really, really good. That is a really fun album to listen to. If you have not listened to it in a minute, I highly recommend it. Well, Shania, I'm here to say you did impress me much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, oh, just wanted to let you guys know, I also have an email. You can send any comments, questions, concerns, suggestions. It's sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. There's also an Instagram where I really don't post anything yet, but I'm going to try to. Also, if you liked it, leave five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you didn't like it, I'm really sorry. And hopefully you'll like it one day. Bye, everyone. Talk next week. Bye.